Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the Tyrese Field Movie Debate Podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I was going to attempt to say my name in the most incomprehensible, incomprehensible Irish accent possible, but I think I would offend pretty much everybody if I tried that. Yeah. So I'm, just, yeah. I'm just William Johnson. How else could we offend people like putting the gay in Gaelic or the lick in Gaelic? I don't know how we could really go there much worse than uh, we already kind of do. So good yeah, call, you know? Yeah. All right, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you folks. Uh, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives to wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we're talking about new two streaming platforms. And a surefire Oscar contender is Martin McDonough's The Banshees of Inishirin. And we have brought in a guest and half recommender here to this. We have independent Seattle film critic, Kales Davis, the man you go to when you need to know about a movie. And we saw his letterbox review. He's a mutual friend of Will and I, and we said we got to get that guy on the show. Hey guys, you know you kind of you kind of didn't tell me that y'all were doing this just only with um uh, without any faces on here because I got all dressed up and you know got my hair looking good and everything and you know <laughs> but oh, I'm yeah. glad to be on with you guys and I really enjoys y'all's content not just with this podcast but the reviews you do especially you Don and Will you know especially Will I know you're MCU shrill but hey. I still love you. So. Yeah, I love how I he called you a that. shrill instead of a shrill because <laughs> I am kind of tired of hearing your voice, man. I tell you what. Well, you know, it's everybody's loss. I mean, I'm glad you got dressed up and everything, but I have been naked now for 95 straight episodes. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so, I mean, whatever. I mean, you, 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 whatever floats your boat. Do what you got to do. Uh, hey, well, in the meantime, our format is this. The recommending lover will go first, and in this case, our guest will go first. Uh, Kales will give five uninterrupted minutes to shower his praise and state his high-minded case towards Martin McDonough's film. Will will follow in second uh, as a follow-up lover and second person to kind of put their time in there. Uh, I guess I'm in the hater slot, even though I'm not that very much lower than these guys, but I'll have five uninterrupted minutes of my own to present any counterpoints or any manner of intellectual scorched earth, although it won't get too hot in the frosty breezes of iron. Ireland. But uh, after that, we will open it up for 50 to 15 minutes of shared conversation where the hits of it really gets chippy. I went up instead of down, but let's see what happens here. But in the meantime, let's fucking go, right? Can't get <laughs> the Irish accent. Fucking hell. Fucking. <laughs> fucking. Uh, this, this movie needed subtitles, I'll tell you what. But uh, it was always a good time. Coles, as the guest, you go first. If you feel like keeping your own time, great. If not, whenever you finish your thought, you'll hear the, and we'll get going from there. All right? All right. Fire away, young man. This film really had me confront a lot of existential questions about life, relationships. The one thing that immediately stuck out to me was the idea about relationships. You know, having a best friend or having a spouse, having somebody tell you just one morning that they don't feel the same way about you that they used to. I've heard horror stories of couples who have been together for 10 years, married couples. And one day, one or the other just wakes up and is like, I don't feel the same way that I felt for you five years ago. You know, I'm not in love with you anymore. And that is always a big nightmare to me. And this film deals with these two life. It seems to be they were friends for a good substantial amount of time. And one of the guys, his name is Colin. He comes and tells his friend that, I just don't want to be your friend anymore. And, you know, at first I was wondering, like, well, why would the sudden change of heart? You know, it feels kind of heartless. It feels kind of just like a, a slap in the face. You know, I, the one thing I do hate about this new generation is ghosting people as far as not just with, you know, relationships, but you meet somebody and, you know, you go on a date with them and you think you're having a good time. And then all of a sudden you try to text them the next day and they don't respond to you at all. And you never hear from them again. So this film was had a had a little bit of that at the beginning of it, but then over time we get we come to understand why this friend feels this way, and that also goes into another aspect as far as like the value of time, the value of life itself. Like, what do we want to put our energies towards? What do we want to focus our attention towards? You know, people. You know, the one thing, the one reason that this friend ends up breaking away from this other friend is because, hey, you know, I'm tired of hearing your dull conversations. I want to, I don't have much time left to live in my life. I want to be able to 
make music and I want to be able to contribute to the betterment of society. And I can't do that with having you as a distraction. And it seems heartless. And I thought it was heartless. But at the same time, when you get older, you know, and I'm not at that stage yet, but when you get older, you start to understand that mortality is coming sooner than you think. And you don't want to want to, you don't really want to waste any more time, you know, especially with things that don't really matter. You kind of just want to make the best use of the remaining years that you got left or days or however long you, you exist on this earth. You want to make sure that time is spent accordingly. But at the same time, is it worth giving up a friendship to do that? You know, cause not only we, we, we as humans sometimes can be very selfish and this film deals with that. It deals with pride and selfishness. It deals with, you know, what's good for me is good for me, but at the same time, it could be damaging to you. And the person who thinks it's good for them may not care about how much it damages the other person. And I feel that at a point, yes, it is good to be a little bit selfish at points because we don't want anybody to just be depend on us all the time and tagging along and being there. You know, we want our solitude, but at the same time, we have to understand how our behaviors and actions are affecting other people. And this film, it deals with that in a sense, but it also deals with the aspect of holding a grudge or losing someone or just being lonely. You know, people say that they say that people fear being lonely more than the fear of death. And you see that with Colin Farrell's character throughout the film is that I believe him constantly going after his friend and trying to ask him like why he doesn't want to be his friend, trying to get him to become his friend against because he doesn't want to be lonely. And he doesn't want to just be in this world, be on this island, this Irish island without having anybody to talk to. Yet, sure, he has his pets. Sure, he has his sister and whatnot. But having a best friend, I mean, it's a rare connection that you just don't get. In a lifetime, you know, people always talk about how, you know, you have best friends when you're young, but then when you're adult, you know, you end up losing that connection and it becomes hard to make friends when you get older. So this film is just profound in a lot of ways. It's darkly comedic, which I like. That's my style. Satirical at times and very, very dark towards the end. But I love every bit of it. And I think it's one of the best films of the year. And you know, one extra note I want to say before I leave is that Colin Farrell, man, I want to give kudos to Colin Farrell because when he first started acting, I used to think he was a joke. I used to think he would be one of these guys who would star in like films like Electra or Daredevil and just do these like little timey roles that has no significance. But he's really proven me wrong over the last decade. And I really take him seriously as a credible and gifted actor. Well done, sir. Man, you called it, Will. We brought the right guest in for this. <laughs> only where, only place we can go is down. You're up next. Well, of course. Of course. You know what, Don? Keep the timer for me because something's not working. Let me know. No problem. Uh, okay. Yeah, you betcha. I betcha. All right. Hey, I also, uh, you know, I have no disrespect to your name, but I always, always called you Kalis like the Klingon God uh, from Star Trek. So I, I've always, every time I see your name, I'm always like, Kalos! I feel like Ward for something. So I'm just going to nerd. I'm going to, I'm going to, you got to get used to me saying your name correctly. So I apologize, but I do agree with you about Colin Farrell. There, there was a time, I think. Um, and I think this happens to a lot of actors that get um, really popular, but are also kind of like these sex symbols and, you know, you're not sure how seriously to take them. And then, and his career has kind of gone up and down. He's had, you know, he had his, his shot at like prestige with Oliver Stone's Alexander. And it was a huge disaster. And, you know, uh, you know, he did the Terrence Malick route with the new world and tried to change pace a little bit while still doing things like daredevil and, and things like that. But yeah, he's really, I, I first really remember him in minority report and thinking, wow, that's a great presence. What a great actor. But yeah, to see him go from like where he was in the 2000s, early 2000s to where he's at now, where he's on this verge of prestige is, is really something to do. And he is definitely this, I, I, I don't want to say the standout because I'm one of these people that talked to, I talked to Katie Glidewell shortly after watching the movie and I, she's kind of one of our Oscar, Oscar prognosticators. And I was just like, is there any chance all four of the leads in this movie get a nomination? Because they're all magnificent. Colin Farrell, 
is incredible. He has like probably one of my favorite scenes of the year. He has this kind of outburst uh, in a in the pub where it's mixtures of pathetic sadness and authentic sadness and sweetness and kindness and anger and frustration. I mean, it's a powerhouse performance where he puts in, you know, five or six different levels of emotion, you know, in a matter of minutes, you know, it's just such a great thing. And I'm I'm sure it'll be on his Oscar clip if he gets nominated, which I assume he will. Um, but yeah, the, the other some of the other actors in this are, I mean, phenomenal. Brendan Gleeson is always reliable, and, and having him and Farrell together, just like in Bruges, is is great. Uh, Carrie Condon, I think, is kind of the heart and soul of the film, and and Barry Cogan, Druig himself from Eternals, uh, is um, wonderful. I mean, he's he's so good and tragic, and um, such a pleasure to watch. So at the very least, if you don't connect with the story, you know, maybe, or you're not quite there with the humor or whatever. You know, the acting is phenomenal. So you you at least got that as the backbone of this piece. But I, I, uh, I'm kind of, I'm you know, with our guest. I mean, I have been thinking about this movie every day since I watched it. Like, I can't stop thinking about it because it really captures the fickle nature of humanity. Um, because... We see it all the time, and it, it, it varies in relationships. We, we see people that are really nice people, super smart, super artistic and energetic, and they will date the most toxic, horrible people and constantly do it, like if you're talking about a romantic relationship, right? Or they'll have friends that use them and abuse them, but then they come from like this great family or vice versa. Like, and despite the fact that maybe they're dating these horrible people or come from like horrible families or come from great families and make bad decisions, we've all had, we've also we've all also been in that place where, you know, there's that that one guy or that one girl who's just too nice, you know, or has too much small talk and they're they're completely harmless and they're wonderful human beings, but you're just like, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, I cannot talk to these people today. We're fickle because there's sometimes we're presented with wonderful people in front of us that we can't stand and terrible people that we're attracted to. And I love how this movie kind of captures that because you obviously have this history of a friendship between these two men and something has happened. You know, I don't want to call it a midlife crisis because I'm assuming Brendan Gleeson is pushing past 65. I don't know. But there are moments. And the reason why I keep thinking about this film is there are these moments where you're like, I'm totally on your side, Brendan Gleeson. And then the other times you're like, you're such a dick, Brendan Gleeson. And sometimes you're just like, man, Colin Farrell, what a sweet guy. And then sometimes you're just like, God, he is fucking boring, isn't he? And it's just, you're pulled in so many directions. And we do see what the effect of, you know, toxicity and societal expectations and personal expectations and the limitations of life have on people. And because, you know, by the end of this film, no spoilers, you know, uh, a character that you would consider sweet and nice kind of ends up on the other end of things, more so than you would expect that person to go. And I, I think that's kind of the brilliance of this film is that it just shows you the evolution of how we progress through life with friendships and relationships in general. Well done, sir. Well done. Well done. Thanks. No, for me, it's um, I think I'm I'm in, I'm definitely in a place where I'm I'm teetering between where you two are. Um, I see, of course, see the existential uh, tussle that's going on in terms of where you know the bigger heady things are in terms of friendship, manliness, whatever. Um, their place in history, their place locally, and all that stuff like that. You have the, and then you know, I, I'm with you, Carrie Condon, is kind of that that shining light in the middle, trying to kind of be the arbitrator. But uh, I think about where will's going and that's kind of where kind of the crux of my review kind of went with this where to me this movie is a challenge because it kind of tests your tolerance level for watching for better for lack of a better term male stubbornness um and we're all three of us are men here we are all three of us have been idiots all three of us have held grudges been pig-headed done dumb done dumb stuff treated people badly we've we've either been the nice person or we've been the dick for somebody you know so i think the tolerance level that somebody has for that will kind of undoubtedly mix feelings and kind of inform your experience with this movie some people are going to relish that kind of dark humor while others are just going to throw their hands up and beg for people to kind of get over themselves and um no matter 
which place you come from when it comes to that. Uh, I think you're going to be engaged in kind of this tailspin and this whole kind of dark ordeal that kind of happens here between these characters. I think there's plenty to be impressed by. You, it is an absolute Oscar contender. Um, I think this is Will Ferrell. I think Will Ferrell. This is Colin Farrell's Oscar to lose. Um, and the only person I see doing it is Brandon Fraser. But other than that, um, yeah, it, the challenge here is, um, and I kind of get a kick out of it where um you know me, every movie has a lesson. I kind of write with life lessons in mind. Uh, and my second lesson, uh, other than the male stubbornness thing that was in the review, was um, sometimes the simplest answer is the correct one. And I love that early on, early on in the movie, Carrie Condon's sister Siobhan kind of says, you know, you know, um, you know, Patrick is kind of flummoxed of what, why, you know, Colm, what, you know, is giving him the silent treatment. And sister just says it to him, you know, um, quickly and easily just says, maybe he doesn't like you anymore. And just with that, you know, that simplest answer might be the truest one. And because honestly, if you really were to step back and look where the film is at, you could kind of ring the bell right there and go, yep, that's the movie. That's it. He just doesn't like you anymore. And the minutes that flow after that is kind of the, uh, you know, kind of Colin Farrell's character's kind of learning curve to kind of being a bit, you know, not being maybe as dim or as dull and, in the person you don't want to be around in that kind of way. But again, we're back at male stubbornness. Um, the fun part is kind of for me in the film, uh, it, uh, of course, watching uh, Patrick's character, you know, Colin's character, Patrick uh, kind of you know, unravel is, is, is incredible because he gives a fantastic performance, probably one of the best of his career. But uh, the fun part for me was trying to watch uh, Brendan Gleeson at work where, you know, he's kind of put his foot down and he's kind of, you know, made these, you know, this, this grand, harsh repercussion announced and known of what he's going to do when, when it comes to just not re-engaging this friendship with the severity of where he's going to go with it. And I, I'm like, all right, that's a that's a blunt dude doing a blunt thing. But um, you, I kept kind of going, all right, is there going to be a kind of a bigger reason other than the simplest one I mentioned before? Is there a larger undercurrent that makes the action so severe? Um, and then even on that level, does he even need a reason? to kind of go with the choices he wants to do or kind of update who he wants to hang with or what he wants to do with his life. And when you take the existential route that Coles is talking about, you could kind of get some clues into, wow, this, this guy just wants a little bit of this and can you really fault him for it? But at the same time, you're going to, we could kind of falter for it because of the kind of the drastic repercussions he's willing to kind of measures he's willing to kind of take. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating film because you have, for all of Farrell's kind of bluster, you've got Brendan Gleeson trying to find just kind of a little bit of elegance in his life with um with the fiddle. You know, it's nice to see Gleeson show off his talent there uh, and kind of get away from the old, you know, the inebriated rambling that comes with the rest of his stuff where, um, you know, I like watching Brendan Gleeson in this movie for just his 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 distaste, his resolve, his exhaustion, and just kind of the curtness of his silence. You know, anyone who's seen Brendan Gleeson knows he he can have a gift for a gab. He can explode like a powder keg anytime you get him in a role. Just watching these two boys in, in Bruges, you know, a decade ago, these two boys could talk. These two boys could throw down. Um, but to see Colm or to see Brendan, I should say, slide into this place of like, nope. I'm going to be right here uh, is fascinating. Uh, and that's Big Donna for sure. You know, writing this thing on on a page where kind of that restorative path of things is never really easy. I could take or leave Barry Keegan. Um, I've seen the twitchy fucker routine he does before. Uh, I don't get much out of it. I know the little clip has been going around lately about the Messiah complex or whatever that he had or the the role he has is of of helping everyone while sacrificing himself. I don't buy it. He's just a weirdo in the, in the village. I guess you need one of those to break things up, but uh, no, one of the better films of the year. Um, I'll never put it in a top 10. It's in a top 20. I think it made number 14 or 15 on my formal list, but uh, a fine place to be a worthy place for Oscars. Um, and there's a lot to like, but at the same time, there's a lot to kind of push back and go, mm, not my cup of tea. All right, folks, uh, we will break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. Hey, this is Charlie, Triple C, from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com.
All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, open it up for shared discussion, everybody. Well, that was like the harshest four-star review I've ever heard. This is yeah, man, I know. I mean, you really, you really admit, gave it your all. <laughs> trying to yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I admit I'm super conflicted. Um, I laughed my ass off when I saw it and things like that, but then I kind of sat back and went, like, gosh, this, you know, this isn't my cup of tea. It's a movie I greatly respect. I'll probably never watch it again, but I can't mm-hmm. deny. The brilliance of what's there, the fantastic performances, uh, like and like, like you said, Coles, the the existential places it goes. It's not. It's just also not me. I don't have. I mean, if I if we're playing the whole didn't work for me bullshit card that uh, some of our mutual friends like to say on their podcasts and shows, um, I'm one of those people where I I don't. I don't have a best friend. Um, my my wife and I are pretty close, but I don't have a bro or a dude I, I hang out with or nothing to that level. So I don't okay, have sure, this. Sure you don't. I know. Whatever. I don't. Not, 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 not the dude from Phoenix. I, I mean, I have a lot of like all these movie acquaintances and work acquaintances, but I don't have like a best man that stands up in my wedding. My brother lives in Texas. I barely see him. And stuff. so I, yeah, I don't have that. So I don't feel the loss of that as stinging as other people would. So I'm like, eh. Oh, um, I could be Brendan. You know, that's probably why I watch Brendan. So I think it's one of those things where you have to kind of put yourself in the place of like a Colin Farrell. Cause for me, you know, I'm the same way as you. I don't really have like a best friend where I'm at. Like I have a brother, but he lives out of state and I've had yeah. best friends. I had used to have best friends, but we kind of grown apart because that's just how life works. So same. I guess I can, I guess I can kind of lean in on those experiences as far as drifting apart from someone, but the whole sudden aspect of just like someone just saying hey i don't want to be your friend anymore you kind of have to like kind of like put yourself in someone's shoes to kind of just like get the gist of it and i can understand why most people would be like hey this isn't for me because hey i don't go through this or this is just too much of like this is too much of just like something that's disrespectful that i just couldn't fathom my best friend doing Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) well you can't you can't fathom anyone really do i mean it's weird because it's severe it really, I, 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 the word i used was severe and i i couldn't like I, I i could get the silent treatment and the the gruffness of all that but we're fucking severing fingers where i'm like oh, okay now i'm out you well, know too much I mean, too far well I, I when i when i wrote my review for this you know i i pretty much said you know that meme where it says men will do blank instead of going to therapy <laughs> that's this movie yeah. because that's kind of that's kind of what it is because you know the interesting thing is the island itself is. I almost think of this. Uh, have, have either of you, have both of you seen the um, Strange World? You know that came out by, by Disney. Have I have not. To. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do, you, do you care if I spoil something from that, or should I use it? <laughs> no. Okay. 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 So, so well, I mean, if if this saves us from another Star Trek reference, that'd be great. Well, it, well, Strange World is very close to Star Trek, and I can tell you why if you wish, but I won't. I. But oh boy. You find out at the end that of Strange World that this this humanity that we're watching has been living essentially on the back of a giant turtle, you know, uh, uh, and and the turtle is just a small piece of a, a whole other planet that these people have no idea about. Okay, and this it kind of functions the same way here. Like the island is almost kind of like a human brain, I, I think, mm. and. Mm. You know, you have like the the sister, and, and I'm really bad with names, so I don't remember their names. But Carrie Condon, essentially, uh, uh, Siobhan, she she is kind of like that voice of reason. That's like I gotta get out of this mental space, you know. And yeah, you get you get this impression that everybody on this island is this entrenched thing of despair, where they're all their worst enemies. They're either getting drunk or they're you know doing whatever. And, and we all have that moment as someone like me who suffers from anxiety, depression, OCD, things like that. Like you have those moments where you sit down and you think what I'm worrying about right now is so stupid. And you know it, you know, it's stupid, but at the same time, you still go down these avenues. And I, I feel, so I feel like this Island of Inish, uh, is it Shared? Is that the Island name? I know this is a song. This about- is a fiction. This is a fictional location in Ireland. Uh, it it okay. was shot in three or four places, but the island of Inishirin is a fictional, non-existing okay. island. But I'm saying in the story, Inishirin is the island, right? Correct. Um, that's the name. Okay, so I, I kind of mm-hmm. feel like it's this. Like I said, it's it's like it's like a living brain, and now these people are all the facets of it because we've all been in situations. Don said it really great. Like there's been times we've treated people miserably. There's been times we've treated people greatly. We've turned the other cheek, and sometimes we haven't. 
And, you know, I, I look at this and, and I look at uh, Brendan Gleeson's character and I think, how many times have we wanted to say something like that to someone or wanted to cut them off like that? Because there are people in your lives that are, you know, they, they, like I said in my example before, there are some of the nicest people who mean no harm whatsoever, but because they're so dull or because they just don't understand social cues and they just will talk to you about the most meaningless stuff, you know, in your head, you're being polite and going like, you know, oh, man, that's crazy. And then you're really just like, please, I just want to tell this guy to fuck off and never talk to me again. But when there's really no, like, meaning behind that, because they're really not doing anything wrong to you. And then meanwhile, you will hang out with people that are, like, toxic and terrible and spread gossip. And so, you, like I said, you see some of what Brendan Gleeson is talking about. We have those moments in our brains where we're just like, I would give anything, but it's just not civil and right for me to tell this person to fuck off and never talk to me again. But, you know, there's social politics at work. You know, maybe you work with this person. Maybe you live with this person. Maybe they're part of your family or maybe you see them every day on the way to work, whatever. And, yeah, there are moments where you're going to be like, yeah, this guy's so dull and terrible. But then at the same time, it's also like, yeah, but what are the positives of this? I, I come at this a lot from like a teacher perspective. You know, when I look at a lot of kids, and Don, you understand this, like, when you see so many kids, you see different levels of kids. You see the disrespectful kids that are really smart. You see kids that, frankly, aren't very smart at all, but are the sweetest people, and and all kinds of different combinations. And you can't sit there and just judge people by just one thing, because you can find facets of them that are good. But sometimes all we do is find the facets that are bad. So it's kind of just this, this movie is kind of an enigma, because it's like, at times you'll just be like, yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I would totally wish I could say that to that person. I would never do it. I would never cut my fingers off, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but then at other moments, you're just like, it reminds, there's a scene in the movie where um, the cop beats up Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, even though he's in the middle of his, please never talk to me and I will never talk to you phase helps him up and gets him on his way and make sure he's safe. You know, and that's a more human element because it's like, how mean can you really be? You know, like there's still mm-hmm. got to be human parts to you. So there, there's, it's, it's very reflective of like, to me, like the inner brain and how we think of things, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's impossible not to think about, you know? Yeah. Kel, that's what do you think, man? Oh, I, I mostly am on the side of what Will is coming to, you know, going back to where you were talking about how, you know, your whiffs a person that you may not want to hang out with and in your mind, you're wishing that you could say, Hey, I don't want to be around you. It kind of brings me to this aspect of relationships that I have started to notice in my years, you know, as being an adult where there are those people that you kind of are hanging around with just because you may be bored or you may need a distraction, but do you really want to hang out with that person? Like I, I'll see, I've been with instances with me and my girlfriend where we'll go to a party or we'll, We'll talk about certain people, you know, maybe her friends and everything like that. And she'll tell me like, hey, you know, like, you know, this friend, you know, I've been hanging out with them and they're cool and everything. But, you know, I don't really like how they do this. I get annoyed by that. And it kind of makes me think, do most people, you know, especially people who they consider to have friends, are these friends just merely things that they are depending on to have something going on in their life? Or do they really not have them as a friend? And just are really just clinging on to them because they give them something to do, you know, because there's a difference between having a friend that you really want to hang out with and be around and talk to and depend on. And then there's people who could be like acquaintances where you kind of are just like being nice just for the sake of being nice, making their day. But it's not really in service of what you want to do. So what I see with Brendan Gleeson's character is that maybe he saw he started to see that this friendship with Pat with um Padrick was in a sense something that was valuable for him, but not valuable. He wasn't getting anything out of this. He found yeah. himself starting to waste a little bit of time with this. He's like, man, with all this time I'm listening to you talk about this and that, you know, I could have been out here making a new song. I could have been out here doing something that is a more betterment of my time than just sitting around with you, going to this pub every day, drinking beer, doing the same thing over and over again, this routine. And I think, you know, at a point when your life becomes routine, then something is wrong. Now, people love the routine. They love doing the same thing each and every day. It doesn't take much brain power to do it. You know, it's just like, hey, get up, do this, do that, go to work, 
you know, go to this place, hang out with a friend, talk, watch the TV, go to bed, do the same thing over and over again. But for a person like Calm, who's all about being artistic, for him, life is more about trying to gather experiences more than being um, redundant. And at that, at that same time, I can understand why people wouldn't like Calm's character because in the manner of how he goes about dressing down Colin Farrell's character and pretty much cutting him off. But at the same time, when you look at the other side of it, you do understand that life, you know, for most people, people want to get more out of life. They want to do sure. things that are, that are treasurable, that they can be remembered by because no one wanted, no one wants to be forgotten. No one wants to be looked at as wasting any time. And that's the dichotomy that we face with this film. You know, it's a film where you can agree with both sides, but still not really come down to a common ground to where it feels like exactly. who's right and who's wrong. No, for sure. Well because I, well I, that's well said because I agree with you because there's also a part of, and we all fall victim to it. Uh, Brendan Gleeson's character that is a little bit. Yes, I do. I do believe him that he wants to get a little bit more out of life, but I also feel that he also maybe thinks in some way that maybe he's supposed to be doing this. Like there's a little bit of pressure on him, whether it's from an invisible force or not, that's saying like, well, Mozart, you know, like he, he brings up Mozart at one point and luck <laughs> Carrie Condon at, at one point, it does has a great moment. She has two really great moments that kind of uh, put, put a, uh, I don't know, spike the tea a little bit of what Brendan Gleeson's trying to do. The first one is when she says, Oh, by the way, Mozart was 18th century, not 17th century. Like, it's almost like Brandon Gleason's kind of got this idea of what you're supposed to be doing. And he's maybe got this expectation of how it's supposed to be. And he's trying to live up to maybe what other people should think is, is um, expected of an artistic person. And he doesn't have his facts straight. So there's a little bit of like, a little bit of, not fakeness. Because I, th- I do think he wants to do something. But it, it does also reek of like he gets up one day and it's just like, I'm not doing anything with my life. I have to cut off like I have to cut off everything in order to achieve what I need to achieve where you can find balance in, you know, that's why, you know, sometimes in relationships, you you they slowly fade away. Sometimes you end on a good note. Sometimes you end on a bad note. There's just a lot of, you know, he's skipping some steps, you know, and it's almost like he's missing the point or not even getting his facts straight to get to a, to a point faster when he should be more thinking about these kind of things. But at the same time, he does have a point, you know? So it's, it is true. You're kind of dealing with both of these concepts at the same time. He's right and wrong at the same time, but that's kind of like how we are as humans, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, are you still there? No, I, I see that as well, where, um, um, I we're, this is I go back to that male stubbornness thing where you're right both of them are right and both of them are wrong like Colin, there's nothing wrong with Colin wanting to have his friend a guy that he trusts all, you know the, the 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 norms and the routines that he's used to you know comfort there's found there but at the same time he obviously pushes and prods and goes about it the wrong ways to to trigger what triggers in the story and then at the same time there's nothing wrong with Brennan Gleason wanting a little peace and quiet wanting to change the routine wanting to break that up I side with that I, I'm not a guy of routines I, I like when new things come away new experiences come away when I can kind of d- just yeah do not get stuck in a rut so the ruts ruts bother me so uh, at, but at the same time he's an absolute you know stonewall about it where he doesn't need to be like hey, you know do that with a little bit of you know do that with a little bit of grace do that with a little bit of you know uh, ease into it but so both guys it's kind of fascinating if if people are trying to play the scoreboard of who's right and who's wrong and at the end I I I don't have a good idea well Farrell burns the motherfucker guy's house down. So I think Farrell takes it, does it worse than, than Gleason does, but it's debatable sure. in terms of the grander scheme of things. So, well, and the other thing I wanted to bring up, I said, Carrie Condon has two scenes, you know, one of them being like how she corrects him and is, you know, break, breaks him down a little bit and be like, okay, you're not as hot shit intellectually as you think you are. But the other one that I noticed is there's a scene uh, towards, uh, Right when she's deciding that she's probably going to leave the island, and uh, Barry Keegan, you know Dominic, this kind of weirdo guy, you know obviously likes her a lot, and they have a conversation, 
And it plays out more like a real life conversation. Like he gets the balls to finally ask her out in his own creepy, weird way. And she finds a way to reject him without destroying him. You know, uh, I mean, at least as far as she can do, you know, by letting him down softly. And that's when you realize, okay, she is the sane one because she's letting him know what she wants, which is nothing to do with him on a romantic level. But she's also being a kind human being who's just like, sweetheart, you know, it probably wouldn't work out, you know? And she's putting a nice touch on it so that that way the kid's not like, like, Oh shit! I, you know, I'm gonna. <laughs> I want to jump off a bridge now. Even though that's eventually what he does. He has some other problems in his life, obviously. But you know, like that's how human conversations go. That are normal. Is like somebody gets somebody gets the the, the ability to finally do what they want to do and say, "Hey, I like you. Let's go out." Even though it's weird and creepy in his case, and she finds a way to talk to him like a human being, and. That's when you're just like, okay, she's getting off the island because she is getting out of these habits of, like you said, it's almost like you guys were talking about ruts and stuff like that. You know, you get in a rut and you kind of do the same thing with the routine endlessly. It's almost like he's thinking, Brendan Gleason's thinking, if he changes his routine to this of this harsh person, it's still a routine. He's just going to go through the motions of just being a different person as opposed to evolving in a fluid manner he's just getting in a rut in a different way. You know, it's like someone who changes alcoholism for, I don't know, a different addiction. You know, it's, it's, you're still repeating the same habits. You're just doing it differently under a different name. So interesting. I hear you. No, I think um, Carrie's character is helpful. I, I mean, you need that buoyancy in this movie and to see her, want to leave the island for, you know, a, a real career, which is hard for a 1920s woman to get no matter what country you're from. Um, but it kind of does turn that island into a place where the isolation is a thing, you know, and it, it, there's a chance that there are other people on this island just as hard off in their heads as Padraig and Colmar, where it, it, this is, I know everyone in the pub kind of looks around and just sees these two confronting each other as the only problem at the time. But, you know, you can tell with a, with a character like uh, Barry's character that there's always something going on in a place this small. So it's fascinating for those dynamics too. Like this could be a small town America story as much as it is an Irish Island story for the, for the people who need to plug in to something a little different than they're used to. Well, you know, what's really interesting too, is I, when I watched this movie, um, I had no idea it was a quote unquote period piece. I thought it was modern day, like from the previews, like the trailers and stuff. I was like, it, it doesn't have that, like, it doesn't have that baggage of like being set in a specific time. It, it's like you said, it is kind of timeless and locationless. It could be anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, it is a, kind of a weird time because they do mention things like bread trucks and stuff. And obviously, there's, there's a. Horse- Cal- there's a calendar on the wall there's a calendar on the wall in the civil war going on in the mainland so it it, it dates right. itself intentionally no, no, it, it does time. but I, it's an isolated enough island that you're right this could be anywhere it's a it's a little it just, test it just case took me like place. yeah it just took me like five or ten minutes when the film started and because my expectation was it was just a modern day film you know what i mean like it's oh gosh so it's not burdened by that and then i suddenly i was like yeah. oh wait a minute this is like in the 20s or something i didn't know what was going on but <laughs> yeah. anyways that's my it's cool well, the fun part for me was I, I didn't have that because I've been to Ireland in the last, you know, 20 years where like and it, it where nothing of Ireland, Ireland still looks like that. But no yep. one in Ireland acts like that. Thank goodness. And uh, I remember seeing a, this is a small sidebar and I'll turn into Will Johnson for a second. Um, what was uh, um, Emily Blunt and the dude from Belfast, Jamie? um Jimmy Dornan had a movie, uh, Wild Mountain Time, a couple years ago, terrible romance, where it was set in the modern day, but it like the way they depicted Ireland is still being this like wool, you know, uh, burlap clad people who still farm and do stuff. Where we're like, <laughs> that's not that's not Ireland. And I remember watching somebody pointed me to a YouTube video of like an actual, you know, current Irish person going, Yeah, none of us do that anymore. You know, we're we're a modern real European country. <laughs> <laughs> it was clever. No, the uh, the aspect of the small town. There was another thing that I did pick up on. It reminded me of the town I come from, uh, Millersville, Georgia. You know, Millersville has had some development over the years, but for a long time, when I was in high school, especially uh, um, people I would talk to, friends I had, the the goal was always trying to get out of Millersville because there was really nothing for you to really 
level up to and elevate to in Millersville. I mean, it was a town mostly where people came to retire, and there wasn't much to do except to go to bowling alley, go to movies, or get into trouble and cause some chaos at Walmart. And, you know, on this island, you know, especially with Carrie's character towards the end, she's like, I, you know, I have to get off this island. I mean, there's really nothing here for me to do. And I'm feeling like most of the people on this island feel that way. I mean, even the police officer, in a sense, you know, officer, um, I can't remember his name, but the one police officer in this town, I mean, it feels like everybody is kind of, in a sense, trapped. And maybe this is a trap that they want to be in. But also, it feels like a, a desolate island that looks beautiful, a lot of stargazing and whatnot. But there's really nothing of note to really say about it, except that it is an island and except that the people who make who make up the island have outrageous personalities. But maybe the personalities are, you know, limited by being here. And, you know, it made me think to Colin Farrell at the end when his sister is um, talking to him and telling him, hey, you'll get plenty of opportunities here. You know, come and live with me and everything and you can get a job and start working. He's like, no, I have to be here. I have to stay here for my pets and you know it, it brought me back you know because i still know some people who live in my town that i left from and they seem to love it there but it makes me wonder do they know that there is a world that's bigger than that than that town or there's a world that's bigger than that island and are people afraid to go out and see that world or do they just feel more comfortable just being just doing what they know yeah, I, I have a small town just like that, uh, south of, south of the city here in Chicago that I'm from, where you know it, a, a, a good a good few of us left or saw the world a little bit, but it's very telling who never left, married someone they went to high school with, did the job their father did, and even in and, and that antiquated sense, even here in 2022, where they you know the whole apple doesn't fall far from the tree thing, and then oh wait, they stay and just keep growing apples, where the rest of us you know get out and you know see a few more things and get a little bit more of the world but uh i'm right there with you it, it the the setting accentuates and accelerates w the emotions of this movie for sure well and sometimes that the examples you guys use are interesting because it is like you know uh opportunity too it's like do people really want to get out of here but they don't sometimes they don't know better either and i also look at that from my teaching experience as well where i like i, I i'm in these kind of lower income neighborhoods where the opportunity for them to even get outside of their own town is almost impossible. So they kind of live in this small universe that is, you know, everything's higher stakes and higher drama because this is the only world they know. So sometimes they don't even know about that world out there, you know, and, and it's not, it's not necessarily, I guess this is where I sympathize with Colin Farrell a little bit. You know, he is dull, but it's, I don't think it's from, from like this malicious need to just be boring. Like, I think he doesn't know any better, you know? So he's in this, like you said, he's kind of in this small town trapped environment and he doesn't really know to get out of it, you know? So there's almost an innocence to that too. Like where it's, is it really his fault that he's dull? You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, he doesn't read and stuff like that, but th sometimes that's all comes down to opportunity. You know what I mean? Like some True. people don't get the same opportunities other people do. So, yeah, you know, uh, so I don't know. It's it. That's why it's so interesting to think about because, yeah, mm -hmm. th there are negative, positives and negatives to both characters that you can be like, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it. But at the same time, it's also like, yeah, but that's just not how human nature works. Like, you know, it's yeah. It, sometimes it's great to be the nice person. You know, I don't know. Like, it's it's that's not an mm -hmm. evil, inherently evil thing. So I don't know. It's it's just one of those movies that you keep fl flip flopping back and forth on. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's yeah, I mean especially totally. now. I mean, I, I mean, being a nice person is such a value commodity now, especially with all the chaos and the drama going on. I mean, yes, uh, niceness bring it all on. I want all the niceness and the hope in the world right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, you and know, that's, yeah, that's exactly. the challenge. It's hard to find in this movie. You know, it's super hard to find. So, in mm -hmm. in, in a in a good way, it reminds us, hey. Wouldn't some nicest be nice here, you know, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, Barry, because like Barry Keegan is, yeah, he's on the surface, he is creepy and weird. But as you find out, you know, that is, you know, he seems like he has a good heart, you know, like, and he's Definitely. just been, he's been mm -hmm. given circumstances that make him this kind of not unhinged, but just different personality. Like, he, it's like he was never given the chance to blossom. 
you know, because of the oppressive father that you hear might have done some really bad things to him and or does bad things to him actually. And and so that's that's the other part of it too, is it, there's there's just so much behind yeah, because my first instinct when I think of his character is like, yeah, he's the creepy weirdo, right? But at the same time, it's like there's there's a reason why he's like that. And and you sympathize with that, even if you are kind of repelled by him at the same time. It's just I, I've 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 it's been very hard, especially compared to Martin McDonough's more recent film, Three Billboards, where I kind of felt like everything was a little too over exaggerated to make a point. Mm-hmm. This this movie feels like it it really tackles the complexity and like the gray area of what being a human is, you know, that it's not so simple, you know? Yeah. I'll second that. Like three billboards to me, just, yeah, everyone, everyone's, everyone's standing on a stump, you know, and making their very, (laughs) not necessarily loud, grandiose points. It's not a shouting match movie, but at the same time, over really over obvious points in lots of big places that that just seem too big for that kind of setting as well i know same thing isolated small town setting if you want to play it like that like with this but yeah you're you know putting a billboard up that the same <laughs> 25 people in town see like it's just yeah. it, it's putting too fine a point on on a very it's yeah you're using a hammer there where it's just here the subtlety is there i think the foreign setting helps where it's like ooh, and then the period setting where i there is romantic i don't want to say romanticism i guess i'm trying to go that but there is a there's a different the simplicity that you do in this movie plays a little better in a time that was simpler compared to now so i think that plays and i'm with you will i think um there's a good chance unless it's just kind of category competition that all four acting leads get nominated here uh fa- it, it, like i said i think it's Farrell's oscar to lose um i think brennan gleason is a shoo-in for the category of best supporting actor which is a little bit of category fraud he's a co-lead um the mm. only thing that would push barry keegan out is just favorability towards gleason and a desire not to split the vote um i would favor gleason before keegan just because that's the veteran who's really never had the body of the apple compared to keegan who will keep doing this stuff for a long time and then condon yeah. in uh and i the best actress field is loaded as can be but the best supporting actress field to me is wide open where carrie's got a guaranteed spot there if not even a a route to win so yeah i i mean to me i mean i haven't seen everything i, I remember you and i don were talking about 2022 releases and i think i'm (laughs) I'm hitting 50 and you're hitting like 100 so i definitely have not seen everything but like yeah for me it's like my two favorite supporting actress and Coles will not be surprised by this but you know my two favorites so far this year have been you know uh carrie condon and uh angela bassett i just think the two of them Mm -hmm. offer powerful performances in two very different ways that i think is getting oscar attention and uh so I, I think it's kind of I don't know if it's between those two. I'm not a great Oscar predictor. I, I, um, I think stuff, I, mean, I think Bassett will be a good chance. Bassett's got a good chance. The hard part is you got to get a lot of voters to agree to do a Marvel to give Marvel some laurels, and mm. I think the nomination will be the nice part that she gets. Condon has been winning a few more of the like the critics level awards and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Kiki Palmer, I know, snuck in a New York award. You've got um, yeah. the, the mm. two. You've got the two actresses from Everything Everywhere all at once between Stephanie Zhu and Jimmy Lee Curtis. So True. I'm not saying it's a, I'm not saying it's a weak field, um, but it's competitive because it's kind of wide open. Whereas Best Actress is just loaded. You can go ten deep and still have winners in every spot. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So Farrell Farrell is I mean like you said cuz of the category front. So Farrell would go in as a best actor and Gleason yeah. would be a best supporting actor is that what they're saying? Yeah. That, that's how they're chalking this out. Yeah. Okay. That's right. crazy because I mean for watching the film it feels like they're both just co-leads but I know oh, they totally have agree. to but I know they have to do they have to separate them because they don't want a splitting of the vote. So Yeah. And that's well, why I you mean, get category fraud because, like Gleason, <laughs> when you put when you put Gleason up against the other things that are up there for supporting, he just shows so much higher and out than everybody, everything else. Isn't so. that isn't that how um, Viola Davis won hers? Wasn't that kind of a controversy? Yeah, she she's a co fraud? she was co lead for Fences, although she was kind of due resume wise in any way. Where you were going to give Viola Davis something for a change, and maybe mm-hmm. this is a chance to give. Brennan Gleason, something for a change. He's been very good for a very long time, and even yeah, as well. So, for sure, the, absolutely. I, I think I would really love, and I think it would be great for like 
acting in general to give something oh, to a absolutely. journeyman character actor like that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, yes. it's, it's kind of like when what's his face from God, what was the movie with Melissa McCarthy? Uh, where she was no, the fake uh, writer. Richard E. Grant was that. Richard E. Grant. It's like, yeah. yeah, it was like one of those things where it's like, oh my God, Richard E. Grant got nominated for an Oscar. This is awesome because he's always like yeah. the guy that shows up, you know, as the third or fourth lead or, you know, whatever, a supporting character that, you know, is putting in a lot of yeoman's work but not getting any credit for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm always rooting for, uh, you know, I'm always rooting for the, not necessarily an underdog, but like I dig like, those those blue collar you know sure like uh character actors that do all the heavy lifting and a lot of stuff and never get the recognition yeah so the person the person brennan gleason has to watch out for uh is kehu kwan from everything everywhere all at once where that's just such a celebrated person oh, a celebrated performance yes. you know that that's the guy gleason's got to watch out for so that's the best story too that's like oh the, god that's- and that's Oscars do that, so yeah. Well, it's almost it's almost like uh, what's his face, Jackie Earl Haley. You know, when he got the nomination yeah. for Little Children, it was like, holy shit, he the guy that was <laughs> you know in Bad News Bears and Doll Man, he's the guy who's getting like you know uh-huh. Oscar love now. You know, like the uh, he I can't say his name correctly, so I forgive me, but you know his story is just so fun. It's like he acted in like two legendary movies and then disappeared for thirty eight years, and now he's going to win yeah. an Oscar. You know, it's pretty. I mean, that's a great story. So the yeah, crazy like, thing is here. Go ahead, Kales. No, I, I was just saying that, you know, when it comes down to awards, whether it's in movies or in music or in sports, it all comes down to how great the story is. Like, I remember back in, um, I think it was back in 2014, I think it was an NBA where KD had ended up winning the MVP. But, you know, they had talked about, you know, his mother and what she had gone through to raise him and everything. And, you know, of course, in his speech, he talked about she was the real MVP, but it was a it was a great story <laughs> and everything. Right. And, you know, a lot of the times, you know, most of the awards, while we may argue about the semantics and whether this performance is better or not, most of the time, these voters are just going to fall in love with which story sounds the best. And, of course, sure. you know, with um, the guy from everywhere, everything, everywhere all at once, I mean. It's an amazing story. I mean, taking a break, you know, not being acting for over 30 years and then come back to win an Oscar. I mean, that's something that's that's something that could be made into a movie itself. <laughs> I mean, so I, yeah, I mean, so I can understand um, him finally completing that journey. It'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, uh, definitely. Sidebar, the you the real MVP is probably one of my most used memes I've, I ever <laughs> used in text conversations. <laughs> Like you always use it, you always use it like for something that is completely unimportant. But like somebody yeah. that's like, "Hey, can you go pick up my dry cleaning?" Yeah, and then you send them you the real MVP. You know, like <laughs> it's it's become kind of a joke. But I like that example because, uh, yeah, it, it, narratives do matter because, um, uh, you know, I was tied into another. Uh, well, no, I won't do that. I was gonna I was gonna tie it into this other Netflix movie I watched, but. Just cut oh, that dear. out. <laughs> Don't worry about okay, it. Good. All right, go ahead. Uh, cl- closing thoughts, Celeste. You know you love it. For me, I feel that this film is deserving of any of the awards, any of the celebration, any of the recognition that it's getting. I will probably not find myself really going back to see this again, but that doesn't mean I, doesn't re- I don't respect the craft. I respect the craft, but I respect the cinematography. The score is also great as well and the acting all of it is hitting hitting its target um i honestly would want more people to i mean i know i understand people are watching it especially trying to get the end of the year list finalized and everything and it's going to be a great story if colin farrow is able to win this award you know like i said before he's a guy who's come to surprise me and has made me a big fan of his over the last few years and he's had a great year i mean not just this film, but also with the Batman as Penguin. He was he was utterly just like I didn't even recognize him. Like me and my girlfriend watching the Batman and I told her, you know who's playing that? That's Colin Farrell. She's like, No, that's not. And I was like, Yes, that's Colin Farrell right there. <laughs> she couldn't believe it. So And you've got yeah. and he's got after Yang in his resume too, which people are loving and enjoying from the indie side. So he's yeah, had a hell of a year. He's had a good run. I mean, he's what was in the lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer, and he's just had a really solid mm-hmm. run of movies lately. Um, I was just going to say, so like one of the places that I go, and I'll give you my final thoughts, I promise, but uh, 
when uh, I like to go to Variety a lot because they do kind of the prediction. They kind of update it like every day, like what the odds are for predictions and like who is most likely to win in, in order of the rankings. And right now, as of today, their nominees are the number one possible person to win is Brendan Fraser. Number two, they actually have Austin Butler for Elvis. And then Colin Farrell is wow. coming, coming in at number three. Colin Farrell's okay. coming in at number three, and Bill Nighy at four, and Tom Hanks for The Man Called Otto. Oh, five. He's just, in the top just, five now. Just, just, just edging out Tom Cruise, who was uh, in there, I think, as a last week. Yeah. I know so, we have mutual friends who love Top Gun. I could take or leave Tom Cruise. But yeah. Um, Hank? Yes. Yeah, I, it, it, I mean, I love Tom Cruise. That's not a best actor performance. It's Tom Cruise <laughs> doing Tom Cruise. Austin Butler. No argument there. Uh, I haven't seen the Bill Nighy one yet. It's on a screener disc in the basement. I have seen the Hanks one. Uh, that's legit for Hanks. That's a nice part for him. But uh, everyone's going to point to the foreign one being better than that one. So it, it's a two-horse race. It's Well, I guess you got to say three. Butler's there. So we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, my final thoughts on it is um, I, unlike you two gentlemen, I, I'm going to watch it again. I actually want to show my dad. It's, I think it's, it's the kind of movies that my uh, my dad and I would like watch and talk about and i want to show it to him i want to get his reaction i'm interested to see his take on it um and so i'm definitely going to watch it again not only to see like a quote-unquote audience reaction let's see what my dad thinks about it but Mm -hmm. i do want to knowing how it ends now too like seeing how far it goes because i think i know don's not a trailer guy but you know i watched the trailer the first trailer i saw it in the theaters you know i couldn't avoid it it's not, it's not like I searched for it. I was like, oh, I, I want to watch the Banshee in a Sharon trailer today. Like, there's just something I saw in the theater. Like, it, the, the trailer does do a good job of, like, making you think, like, is it going to go as far as he says? Like, is it going to cut his fingers off? And are these people going to get down to, like, I'm going to burn your house down? Um, obviously, the movie takes it the next step further. But seeing that, I'd like to see if maybe there's a little bit of a some not what's the word i'm looking for like uh some not psychic but um i can't think of the word i'm looking for but like i'd like to see if there's something i can see that i missed that is showing colin farrell going in one direction and brandon gleason going in another like a prophetic maybe like i'm look i want to see if there's maybe another layer to the screenplay that you know sometimes you get when you watch other films like my favorite film of the year this year is nope I think that's one that like you watch multiple times, you get different things out of it and you learn different things. I want to see if this one has legs that carries it on a second viewing. So I, I am interested in watching it again and seeing if I get more out of it. Maybe I get less, but, uh, or maybe it just stays the same, but it's earned enough interest for me. It's made me think enough and made me conflicted so much that I would like to see if uh, a second viewing would enhance it for me. Interesting. Interesting. Colette, tell the good people where to find you on social media and follow a bit of your work and, and just kind of, you know, be the guy that people ask to know about a movie. Uh, well, you can find me on all socials. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd under the name Black Nerd Magic. You can find me on Facebook under my real name, Colette Davis. Um always down to meet new people and always down to talk about films. So don't be afraid to give me a holler. All right. Well, uh, and for us here at Cinephile Hissy Fit, you want to follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit. Uh, Don and I, as teachers, we are going on a vacation. So you'll probably see a lot more engagement uh, on all of our socials, but it's definitely at Twitter, also on Facebook, Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. And we are on Instagram too. What, what is our handle on Instagram, Don? I never know. I just post random crap on there, but... Is it about fit or I think I, we got the whole hissy in that one because it's not as shortened as Twitter, but I don't know. You 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 search the name and our handle comes up no matter what. So. Cinephile hissy fit. There you go. I just looked it up. Okay, it so yeah, just sweet. follow us on Instagram. Cinephile hissy fit. I usually post random weird shit on there, but um, you can find both of us on Let Me and Don on Letterboxd. We appreciate your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile hissy fit is a twenty-five YL media podcast. It is brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Thank you, Mitch. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes. We're on the Banana Meter. We are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. 
If you enjoyed the show, Rumination Radio Network has way more where that came from. They have wonderful programs and interesting hosts. We're not the only ones. We're not the only interesting ones. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Thank you. <laughs>